You're listening to the Shamelessly Feminine Podcast, the place for the kick-ass woman who needs a kick in the ass. Your host, Jen Rosenbaum, is giving you the tools to shed shame and live the biggest life possible. So kick off your heels, get comfy, and get ready to be the boss of your life. Angela, I'm so happy to have you today on the podcast. Um, you look amazing. I know everybody here can't see you, but I can. You look amazing. <laughs> Thank you so much. So tell us before we begin who you are and a little bit about you. Sure. My name is Angela Michelle. I'm a photographer here in Texas, also a yoga instructor, and currently training to become a sex educator. Awesome. Love that. Um, so tell us a little bit, you know, I know you, right? We mm-hmm. were boudoir photographers. We've connected a few different times um, throughout our careers. Um, A very talented photographer, might I add. Um, And, uh, you know, I've shot your studio and we've done classes together and whatnot. But what I'm so interested in is um, talking a little bit about um, illness and chronic illness. And I know that you're an advocate for that. So can you tell us a little bit about your story? Sure. Um, So I have a really kind of complicated story. So I have a condition called antiphospholipid syndrome. It's called APS, and it is a clotting disorder. So basically, my body wants to clot. I did not know I had this until 2016 when I had a stroke. Um, I actually had two hospitals not recognize the stroke. It was only after I went to a third hospital that they realized I had a stroke. I had clots all in my body both my carotids as well as my lungs. Um, I was started on blood thinners. To be honest, they didn't even think I would make it out of that situation. They kind of prepared me for the worst and told me to tell my family whatever I needed to say, um, that they would do their best to save me, but it didn't look good. So I was really lucky. I survived. I luckily didn't have a whole lot of impairments. Um, I can still walk. I can still talk. Uh, It did leave me completely blind in my right eye, which is very ironic being a photographer. Um, But I learned to adapt. And, you know, when we shoot behind the camera, we close one eye anyways. So I always say that's when I feel the most normal (laughs) is when I'm taking photos. Um, After that experience... I really turned to yoga to help me through the process of it all. At the time, I was also pregnant, and I miscarried. It would have been my first child, and I was told I can't have kids. So I had to deal with that emotion as well. Um, How did this affect my relationship? My life wasn't going to look like what I thought. So I really turned to yoga, and I just realized how powerful that was. And I was like, I really want to help other people find yoga. So I went on, became a yoga instructor. Um, I'm now a 500-hour certified yoga instructor specializing in adaptive and therapeutic techniques. So I work mostly with people with chronic illnesses and disabilities and teaching them how to, I guess, modify poses to work with their own body. Um, I I was doing okay, but I was having trouble breathing. And to be honest, I was probably having trouble breathing years before that. And I would go to the doctors and they would tell me, it's asthma, it's allergies, you're just overweight, lose some weight. But I had an intolerance to exercise. So no matter how hard I tried, I could not exercise. 
So fast forward to July of 2017, I was in the hospital to have a procedure um, to remove a cyst in one of my breasts. Um, it should have been a minor thing for most people, but because of blood thinners, it required me to be hospitalized. And at that time, they realized that my O2 levels were not where they should be. They didn't understand why. They went ahead and they did the procedure, but I could not be fully sedated. So I had to kind of be in that weird awake state, which was not fun. <laughs> um, and they really had no idea of why I had those low O2s. Um, so I had already started chronicling my health journey a lot online because I had been misdiagnosed with a stroke. Um, so I was very vocal and active online and sharing my story. It just so happened that I had a friend who I went to high school with and he had become a heart surgeon. He was out at UCLA. He happened to read my post talking about the low O2 levels. He knew I had a history of a clotting disorder. So he wrote me and he's like, have your doctors consider CTAF. It's a form of pulmonary hypertension. And I was like, no, no one's brought this up. He's like, you need to bring it up to him. So I was the one to go in and tell my doctors, could I have this? And at first they were like, they either didn't know about it, like had never heard of it because it is rare, or they were reluctant because it's rare. And they were like, well, maybe, but you know, let's, let's, let's not go there just yet. And it really was my friend helping me. He was always a text away. Um, he told me what tests to ask for. Um, his name is Roland. He's absolutely amazing. And he just, he stuck by my side and he, he was adamant that I get certain tests done. I could send him test results via text and he would decipher and tell me next step, what I should ask. And he really guided me on my journey. So in January of 2018, I was diagnosed with CTEF, the full name. I'm going to probably butcher it. It's a chronic thromboembolic pulmonary hypertension. And so it's C-T-E-P-H for short. In August 7th of this year, I did have surgery. It's called a PTE surgery. And I'm not even going to try to say that one. <laughs> I had surgery out in San Diego, California. Because this is a rare condition, it is a rare surgery, there was no hospitals in Texas that were even performing it at that time. So I had to travel to San Diego for this particular surgery. I was very lucky that the surgery hadn't damaged my heart yet. It is a life-threatening surgery. Without it, I was given about three to five years to live. And um, the reason why is people die of heart failure. It's basically a high pressure that builds up in the pulmonary artery, leading to a right heart failure. And I was lucky that I didn't have a heart failure yet, and I was a candidate for surgery. So I had surgery, and for the most part, I'm off oxygen now after living about the last year and a half on oxygen 24-7. So... I just rambled and I'm sorry. <laughs> That's my Don't apologize. Don't apologize. You have a story. No, I'm really glad that you shared your story because I'm sure um, just like you put your stuff out there and somebody contacted you, you're probably reaching somebody right now, you know, that's either going through something or, you know, we're so afraid of kind of putting ourselves out there and we don't want to be, at least I know I was at first with my illness, you know, am I going to be a Debbie Downer if I go on Facebook and I talk about it? 
But, but I think there's the education aspect and I think there's the connect aspect of getting the help that you need. I mean, I mean, I recently had a situation where somebody needed a cold cap and they were like, can you put it on your Facebook page? And in less than 15 minutes, somebody had a cold cap. You know, it's like the power of social media is a really beautiful right. thing. And so I appreciate you sharing all of that on the podcast. And um, I want to dig into it a little bit. Um, tell me, first of all, you have the most badass scar I've ever seen in my whole life. And this Thank is coming you. from somebody who has scars. <laughs> so, and you've embraced it. Yes, I have. Um, I've actually, I've never been a self-portrait person, but I've started doing self-portraits and it was a way for me to embrace the scar. And I'm not afraid of it. I'm not ashamed of it because it gives me a chance to educate and help people and tell my story. So I, I totally embrace it. I love it. I, I saw the photos. They look amazing. Um, tell me a little bit about, let's talk about living with chronic illness. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how do you navigate that? I know you talked about yoga. It's fascinating to me because it's, it's doing physical things when you're dealing with chronic illness is always the hardest thing to do. Um, yeah. And it doesn't surprise me knowing you that you chose the hard route <laughs> of self-care in a way. Um, because I know that you're a go-getter and, and, you know, you like challenges, but, um, tell me why yoga and how does that, does that with it? Was it, was it a brain thing? Was it a body thing? Was it, was it both? Yeah. So to me before I had always been into yoga, but it was more of a physical exercise and it was like, yeah, go get my yoga on, get a good workout in. And after the stroke, I was not in the best physical shape at all. I had been about three weeks in the hospital on bed rest and it really became more of a mental thing. And I really appreciated yoga in this new way that I had barely scratched the surface of before. And so it became a way for me to connect to my body, to accept my body and, um, to find gratitude because that's kind of hard when we're living with chronic illnesses is how do we still find gratitude and be thankful for what we have when we're struggling so hard. And I, I, I believe mindset is a huge component in living with a chronic illness. If, if you are going to just be bitter and mad and angry, you're not going to have a good life. And I mean, what's the point? So, I mean, having that mindset of, you know, strength and resilience, it's just, it's so imperative to living a quality of life, no matter what illness you're faced with. And yoga helps me do that. I have this expression, you can't positive think yourself out of everything, right? So, and I'm a positive thinker and I'm an optimistic person. And I know, I know that you are also, but you just can't positive think yourself out of, out of everything. When you're having those tough moments, or maybe, maybe I should ask you, you have the tough moments. Do you have dark moments or did you, when you were going through all of this and how do you pull yourself out of that? Sure. Um, definitely. I had down moments. I mean, I was faced with life-changing things, um, not being able to be a mom, losing an eye. And um, probably one of the roughest things I had, I was in the middle of dealing with this rare disease that I was told could kill me. I could only have a few years. And I got a diagnosis of, I also have lymphoma. And I was just like, how? Like, why? Like, how much can you throw at me? Like, what is the universe doing to me? And I mean, I had a breakdown and I think we have to let ourselves have that, but not stay in that place. And for me, I was in it and I was having it. 
I really connected to my breath and that's yoga to me is it's breathing. And so just, you know, taking those deep full breaths, which I could hardly do because of the lung disease, but connecting to my breath, connecting to my body and to the moment, it, it just, it brought me back. And when I'm in those dark places, what I do is I do like a little mindful trick where I'm like, okay, look around. What are two things that are beautiful? Or what are three things that I can feel? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, um, and it can be something as simple as the leaf on a tree or, you know, petting my dog's fur, but just I try to connect to the reality of the moment. And that kind of just calms me down and brings me back. But I do think you have to give yourself space to, to have those breakdowns. It's, it's not all peaches and it's not easy. So, mm. Which I think is so interesting because I think that, that um, I know for me, illness has created a new appreciation for the thing we take for granted. And that's exactly what you're pointing out right now. Like, you know, even if it's a leaf on a tree, like, I, you know, when my kids go outside and, and they see an airplane, right. And they'll be, when they were little, they'd be like, Oh my God, an airplane. We're <laughs> squirrel. And like, these are things you see every day and you think nothing of. Right. Um, and it's almost like going backwards and seeing it in the eye of a child, like an innocent eye and going, wow, there's so much in this world that I take for granted. Um, and then it, it sounds like it helps you really find that gratitude. Absolutely. And I think that, I think you just nailed it, that you, you appreciate things in a new way. And, you know, I, I refer to my situation and my medical hardships as a gift. And I know that doesn't, it's really hard for people to understand that sometimes because they're like, how can that be a gift? But I'm like, it's a gift of perspective. It's literally changed the way I see the world. And I've, I've stopped holding back. And it's, it's inspired me in new ways, even with my photography. Because, you know, as boudoir photographers, we teach women to embrace their body. And more than ever, I'm like, embrace it, live in it, love your body for how it lets you live. And not just how it looks, but, you know, truly experience it and don't hold back in life. And that's what it's given me. And I just find I have this new zest for life that I don't think I really had before all this happened. Mm, Good point about the, the, not just what you look like, but particularly deeper, you know, we, I have been wondering myself if I've been spreading the wrong message of, you know, here's a beautiful photo, love yourself, you know, Um, because I've learned since illness is that that love needs to go way deeper. And the love shows up in ways that are not just about you know, what I look like, but in how you take care of yourself and um, emotions and being honest, honest people. I'm not talking about versus lying. I'm I'm like saying things that might might be hard to say, but it's important to have these conversations, you know, to, to work on a lot of different areas of your life that create a less toxic environment for your body when you're, when you're, especially when you're undergoing health issues. Yes, absolutely. And, and I, I feel you on that because it did, it made me question a lot of the line I work I did because I was like, you know, we preach this idea of, you know, love yourself, love your body and love how you look. But it, it goes so much deeper than that. Mm-hmm. But I find that with boudoir, if I can help someone see the beauty that I see in them, there's an internal change that happens. And that's what I'm more interested in. It's not the physical transformation. It's that emotional, mental transformation that clients have when they have a photo shoot with us. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so you consider yourself a self-care junkie. Tell us a ways that self-care shows up in your life in addition to yoga. 
Well, a lot of it is yoga, of course. It's a lot of meditation. Um, I personally, I'm not a morning person, so I don't schedule things in the morning for myself. My mornings are for myself. I sleep in a little bit. Um, I do some stretching, a little bit of yoga. I sit in meditation for about 15 minutes, complete silence, just breathing, just connecting to my body, um, gratitude journals. And I also, I just love to free write. So I just write without, um, with no direction, knowing that no one's going to read it. And I just let whatever needs to come out, come out. Um, and I also take that time to do reading. I, I love to read books. So I, I read a lot of books. I'm usually reading about five to six books at any given time. So I'm not like a one book at a time person. So I do that in the morning. And then in the evening, it's kind of the same thing, um, just in a different order to get myself ready for bed. So it's a lighter yoga practice. It's a little bit more meditation. It's a little bit more um, gratitude journaling and just giving myself a chance to just not do and to turn everything off. And that's been really hard because, you know, as business owners, we're so connected and we're so like, we're always getting dings of our messages, emails. And so I think unplugging is a really important part of that self-care for me. Mm, that's great. And it's the self-awareness. I think that that self-awareness also changes after illness and, and really listening to your body and going, okay, what do you need right now? I'm gonna right. Give it to you. And I think that in our society, sometimes we see that as being like selfish or wasteful. And I've learned that it's not it's imperative to do that, to give your best of yourself out to the world. And so I no longer see it as indulgent. If I take time for myself, it's what my body and my mind needs in that moment. Mm, yeah. I've, I, this is something I've struggled with a lot. That whole, like, you know, the body going, we need a nap and the mind going, we have photos to edit <laughs> you know, or whatever it might be. It's like, there's a, there's, I've learned to switch the scale at the, the body knows better than the mind. It, it really, truly does. Yeah. If we listen and that's where yoga helps us. It helps us tune in to that. Yeah. I think that, that listening is important. I always say that, uh, you know, listen to your gut. It's always right, but we're so good at tuning that out. So absolutely. Yeah, I think that brings up a good point. Okay. So now that you've had this experience and you've, and you, I, I don't know if you would call it a near-death experience or um, what you label it. I, I know we kind of label things differently, right? But uh, a life-changing experience, let's, let's, let's call that for sure. What changes have you made in your life? Do you have a bucket list? Do you have things that you were like always like, oh, I don't know if I could do that. Well, now I'm just going to do it. Or has it changed relationships? Tell me in what ways you found that it's, it's affected your life. Yeah, um, definitely change relationships. I mean, you, you really figure out who's there for you when you go through something like this. And that's kind of a double-edged sword because sometimes it hurts to lose people that maybe you felt really connected to, but who didn't stand by you. But at the same time, I think it brings you closer to other people. And so, um, it's really, I guess, brought me closer to a lot of people in my life, which has, just been a beautiful thing for me. Mm. And then um, the other thing is how you asked, I'm sorry, what was it? The other part? Any changes that you've made in your life? Yeah. Um, I stopped waiting and I stopped talking myself out of things and I stopped feeling insecure and scared and I'm no longer holding back. Um, you, oh, you asked about the bucket list. 
I, I've never been a really person like to have a bucket list. There's definitely things I want to do. Like I definitely want to travel. I want to see more things, but I just find myself putting myself out there in ways that I never would have before. A good example is I'm going to be a bra model on Sunday and I would have never in a million years thought that I would have never, it was never on my bucket list. It was never something I imagined I'd do, but an opportunity presented itself. And I was just like, sure, let's do it. And that's just something I would have, the, the self-doubt and the shame that I feel with my own body would have talked me out of it before. I've been like, no, you know, you look your size, you can't do that. And I'm just like, and, you know, we preach this as boudoir photographers, and I just find myself really embracing that. And just any, I mean, of course, we have to be mindful of what we say yes to. We can't say yes to everything in life. But I just find myself saying yes to more things that are pushing that boundary of my comfort zone. Yeah, to give you experiences in life, too. Yeah, exactly. I'm not, I'm not scared. I'm not going to talk myself out of things. Mm-hmm. The self-doubt is pretty much out the window. I've I've been experiencing that very heavily actually in the last few weeks about just being able to be still and go, what do you really want? What is this? What is this about? You know, and saying yes to things and saying no to things also that are just not in alignment anymore. Yes. And and that's what I've realized too, is um, being more mindful of how I spend my time has been a really important aspect that this has brought up. Because before I used to say yes to things that maybe I didn't really want to do or weren't going to be beneficial or didn't align with what I wanted and my values. And so I've learned more to respect myself than say no. And saying no allows me to say yes to things that I am passionate about. Yeah. So do you have any advice for a woman out there who um, is struggling with being her own advocate? Because as I know, and you know, being your own advocate in the healthcare system is super important. important. And as women, we tend to have this whole like, well, I don't want to be annoying. And I don't want you know, doctors say to us, oh, I Googled it. Okay, whatever, you know, um, and yeah. we tend to shrink ourselves a little bit in that way. So what's your advice to women in, as far as self-advocacy? Sure. So I have a little list for this because I am putting myself out there as an advocate for helping people navigate the health system. Um, You know, with my stroke, the first hospital, they actually told me like literally, oh, honey, it's anxiety. Mm, Right. And, you know, part of me is like, would you have said that to a man? Mm. And I I don't really think they would have. No. And would they have taken his symptoms more seriously? I don't know, but it's, I, I had a lot of anger over it and I've gotten past that, but it's really made me be that advocate for myself. So um, I would say you need to be proactive about your health. The first thing I would say, if you're experiencing anything is to document symptoms, um, document, document, and be really precise, document everything. And so Um, You know, for me, when I was having a lot of like chest pain or low O2s, I would have a pulse oximeter and I would check it and I'd say, okay, at this time I was doing this activity and this was my heart rate and this was my O2 level. And I would document, document. I found, especially if you're dealing with a lot of health issues, I recommend getting a separate calendar 
and using that calendar only to document your health. And so I have a small calendar, no appointments go in it, like as far as like business appointments or anything like that. Medical appointments go in there as well as documenting symptoms. That way I can not only say, well, yeah, two days last week I had this. I can actually say, okay, Tuesday and Thursday, I experienced this at this time. Um, so it just helps me to get my doctors the best information possible to work with. Um, the other thing I say is do research. And I know some doctors kind of hate this one because they, they're like, oh, you read WebMD and now you're coming in thinking you have this. But the reality is there's so many diseases out there and doctors can't then understand them all or know them all. So I do think it's important to do your own research. Um, you know, I was the one to bring up the disease I had to my doctors. So if I had done that, I don't know if I would have been diagnosed in the time I was or at all. Um, you know, right it's interesting. I'm going to interrupt you for one second. I recently had a situation where I was doing some research on breast cancer treatment and I found a treatment that's supposed to work better than the one that I was on. And I went to my oncologist. Now we're talking about a specialist here, mm-hmm. right? That should know everything. And I, I made an appointment with her and, her and I said, come on, I'm not on this treatment. And she said to me, boy, you really do really do your child. That, that study came out two weeks ago. And I said, well, let me ask you a question. If I didn't come to you with it, would you have called me with this information? And she said, probably not. Based on the fact that knock wood, I'm in good condition right now. And that the, the treatment that I'm on is good enough. And I was like, hmm, that's really interesting. So now I have to also add cancer researcher to my job title. In yes. Like, um, you know, and this is at a cancer hospital, the cancer doctor. And so, you know, I think, think that we just take our doctors' word for it. We have to remember they're human. I mean, they're doing the best job that they can, exactly. but they are only human and they are seeing a lot of people. And, you know, so we have to really be on top of that as well. Absolutely. And, and that's really what I say too is, you know, they see us for five, 10 minutes mm-hmm. out of how many patients in a day. I mean, it's really on us to do our research and be our own advocate. So it's really important that we do that. Um, I, I tell people, write down your questions before you go in to an appointment. Um, every appointment I have with any doctor, I sit there and I take about an hour. I write down literally every question that comes to mind. Because if you go into that appointment without that written down, you're going to forget. Time's going to fly by. You're going to leave and be like, oh, I forgot. Right. So write everything down. Um, the same way I have a special calendar, I have a special journal that I write these down. In. And that way, too, I can look back and say, okay, on this day, I saw my hematologist and I asked them this and this is what they told me. And so I have documentation for my own sanity because I am getting more forgetful in my age. <laughs> um, so again, document, date, um, use a dedicated journal, write down your questions, bring them up to the doctor. My other thing is to speak up, you know, like you said, they are doctors, but that doesn't mean that they're not human or that they don't um, make mistakes. I mean, it's all humans make mistakes. So we have to take that own responsibility. So don't be afraid to speak up. Don't be afraid to question their authority, Um, you know, and you can do it in a tactful manner, but you can just like you did with your doctor and you asked like, would you have brought up this treatment? it's okay to question them. Like they're not the end all be all. Mm -hmm. And um, 
get a second opinion. If yeah, you're just going to say it, it's yeah. get a second opinion. Mm-hmm. If, if you're not feeling heard or comfortable with where you're at, it's okay to get a second opinion. It's okay to reach out to other specialists and just see what other options are out there. Um, and then take the time to follow up because their um, office gets really busy. They have a lot of patients. So if you're waiting for confirmation on a test or a follow-up appointment and you don't hear from them, do it yourself. Follow up. Call them. You have to be proactive. Um, the other thing I say, keep all records. Ask for copies. Whenever I go into an appointment, I will ask for copies of the test. Even if that particular doctor maybe didn't see anything with that test, maybe your other specialist may find something interesting on a test. Um, for me, with my disease, I have a hematologist, a pulmonologist, a pH specialist, which is pulmonary hypertension, as well as a cardiologist, as well as a primary. So all those different doctors kind of need to be on the same page. And by keeping those records and having them, I'm able to make sure all the doctors are getting the information they need. Um, for me, I also decided to kind of try to stay in the same system, the health system, because that has helped where it's all in the system for them. And so my hematologist can see what my cardiologist wrote or the test they ran. So if possible, it does help to stay in the same system. Um, keep a copy of all your meds, conditions, allergies, and an emergency contact. And just keep that updated. It's something that you're going to be asked for in almost any appointment. Mm. So just kind of have that ready. Um, the other thing I would say is seek support groups. And I found a lot of support groups online. I will tell you that there's a support group I found for people who have CTEP. And again, it is a rare disease. And it has been invaluable and just helping me to understand get a lot of information there that maybe you wouldn't get on your own from your doctor because we're able to kind of compare notes and, and be like, well, my doctor ran this test. Well, why did they run that test? And so you're able to communicate. Also look for the professional organizations. Like for me with pulmonary hypertension, there's PHA and they actually have a list of doctors who are dedicated to, um, pH patients. And so I was able to look on there and find a doctor locally who was able to handle that. Unfortunately, pH isn't something that all pulmonologists are able to handle or understand. Mm. So, you know, just seeking those support groups. I think the support groups is very interesting because I, I remember when I went back to my, um, it was my um, plastic surgeon after my reconstruction, I went for my follow-up visit and there was somebody in the waiting room who was just going in to get a call about her mastectomy and reconstruction and her, and her partner were going through all these questions to ask the doctor. And I was, I was listening. They were sitting right next to me. I was listening. And I finally just said, I'm sorry, I hope you don't mind if I interrupt, but I can answer some of those questions for you. And I can give you a better answer than he can, because first of all, he's a dude and he doesn't have boobs. Yeah. Second of all, I've been through it and I'm happy to be honest with you if you want to know the answers. And I think that, um, you know, they were so grateful for it. And I think talk to other people who've actually been through something you've been through is so invaluable. Like my my doctors will be like, oh, there's no side effects or, oh, this is how it's going to feel. Or, oh, how do you know how it's going to feel? You don't don't. know. You only know what other patients tell you. Right. Um, So it's really important, I think, to connect with people on that level to understand, you know, your decision-making as you go Absolutely. through the process. Yeah. And, you know, I'm so grateful that I went through this process in a day and age where we have the internet because had 
the internet not been around? I can't imagine because I literally, I just met one person in my city who has the same disease. Wow. One person. And we met through the online support group. Um, so it's connected people that have this disease. And for, you know, those of us that have something really rare, before the internet, there was no way, like you were just on your own floating in the ocean with this. So I, I really think that's a great use of internet is to connect to other people. Um, but definitely in-person support groups would be great. Um, so absolutely, yeah. The other thing I had was, and we kind of touched on it, was a self-care mindset and focusing on gratitude because it does affect our health. And if we stay in this you know, state of, if we let ourselves fall into this depression and this, you know, why me, it's, it's going to ultimately affect our health physically. And so I do think it's okay to feel those emotions. You just kind of got to pick yourself up and, and find the good in life. And it will help you physically. I truly, truly believe that. And I think that's part of why for me, I've come out so good is because I went into this very positive, very empowered, um, very informed. And I was just like, I got this. This is my journey and I'm going to do it. It's, it's going to make me better and stronger. And so I, I think it's important to have that self-care and that mindset. And again, you know, we talked about this. Love your body for how it lets you live. You know, appreciating. Even when I couldn't breathe properly, I was still appreciating I can still walk. I mean, I may have to walk on oxygen, but I'm grateful I can still be mobile. I'm grateful I can still, you know, raise my arms over my head. I mean, just things that we take for granted. And, and, you know, I have, having had a stroke, I talk to other stroke survivors. There's stroke survivors who can't do the things that I can do. So I've learned to, even as bad as I am, I appreciate what I have. Mm -hmm. So... Thank you. I really appreciate that. And you talk about the power of the internet. And uh, so my question for you is where can everybody find you if they want to reach out and they want to connect with you? Sure. Um, so do I just like get my website or? Yeah, wherever, <laughs> your Instagram, your Facebook, wherever you want people to find you. I'm, I'm pretty easy to find. Um, so I'm ravenredphoto.com. I'm ravenredphoto pretty much everywhere. Instagram, Facebook. My Raven Red Photo Instagram is more geared towards my photography. So I have a separate Instagram where I do more of my yoga as well as my advocacy yeah. And my motivational speaking, that's going to be um, Angela.RavenRed. Awesome. And that'll all be in the show notes also. So I appreciate you taking your time out today to spend with me and everybody that's listening and sharing your story. And I wish you nothing but good health. Thank you so much, Jennifer. And I really appreciate you doing this podcast and just, you know, giving a voice to people who have something to share. So I think you're doing amazing things. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Shamelessly Feminine Podcast. If you loved what you heard, be sure to leave a rating and review on iTunes so that more women can learn to live a badass life. To learn more about this movement, go to shamelesslyfeminine.com and join our Shamelessly Feminine Facebook group. Until next time, go out there and be the boss of your life.